You're listening to a message from Redeemer Bible Church. We hope you'll visit us in person, or you can find more messages like this one at RedeemerBibleChurch.com. A beautiful morning like this. We could just sing for hours. Amen. It is good to be together with the people of God on a day. It's good to be with the people of God any day, but especially on a morning of this caliber. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. In the email that was sent out to you, again, I'm Pastor Aaron, I'm fairly new to Redeemer, but I already feel like family, you guys have been so welcoming and loving, and it's been an absolute joy, but for those who are new or under these peculiar circumstances of COVID-19 and all that, again, my name is Pastor Aaron White, and it's my joy to be with you. In the email that was sent out, and I, I just do this whenever I preach, at the bottom, there are um, an outline, so you can see the main point of the text. That's, if I were to distill the text and put it into one sentence, I always kind of fight for that to kind of give, give some clarity to my thoughts, and I just want to pay that forward to you, so I always put my main point there along with my exegetical outline. So that's attached, so if you want to follow along, and then underneath that are discussion questions that you can use in private devotion, small group, family worship, uh, community group, however you want to use those. So if you just scroll down, you'll find the outline, and then you'll find the discussion questions as well. And so with that, I'd like to pray briefly before we jump into Psalm 42 is where we're going to be today. Psalm 42, if you saw the email that came out for the somewhat of the duration of the year, kind of going into fall and through Christmas, we're going to be in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the king and his kingdom. I'm very excited to be working through uh, the gospel of Matthew and specifically that great treatise, the Sermon on the Mount. But for these next couple of Sundays, we are here in the Psalms seeking and finding Christ, who is the key to the Old Testament. So let me pray for our time today from Hebrews 4, and then we'll jump in. Hebrews 4, 14 and 15 say this. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. What a joy. We come to one who is fully God, and yet fully man, the hypostatic union of the person of Christ. Very God of very God, able to absorb the wrath of God, and yet... We come to a sympathetic high priest who, when we pray with Psalm 42, my soul is cast down within me. Our minds lurch forward to Matthew 26, where the captain of our salvation knelt in the garden and sweat drops of blood and says, now my soul is very heavy. We thank you that we come to one who is fully God. And yet one who is fully man can sympathize with our weaknesses, yet without sin. So Lord, I, I don't know every circumstance here, 
But I know the frailty of my own disposition, the weakness of my own faith at times. And I'm no prophet, but I know by experience that there are friends here in this group within earshot and those online who are barely hanging on to faith. There are some who are so cast down and perplexed, they feel like you can't breathe, God. So would you help us pray through the Psalms, with the Psalms, to the author of the Psalms, namely Jesus, all things created by him, for him, through him. And God, would you come, bring proper conviction. We want to be changed. But God, bring comfort that the bruised reed not be broken and the smoldering wick not be snuffed out. What we need, God, is faith. Faith to persevere. Faith to fight. So I ask for that great gift that you intend to give Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. Not just justifying faith, but persevering faith, God. So would you come and work in a million ways among this group of people unto the same end, which is to fight the fight of faith and run the race to the end, whether it's tonight or 50 years from now. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 42, a hope that heals, I hope that heals, subtitle, learning to fight back amid spiritual depression, learning to fight back amid spiritual depression, I know it might take a couple of extra minutes, but I think it'd be helpful for us to read the totality of the psalm together, just to get it locked in our brains, it's not Psalm 119, so we should be safe, it'll only take a couple minutes here. So follow with me if you would. Psalm 42, verse 1. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon and Mount Mizar, Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones... My adversaries taunt me while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, 
For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. I think one of the best descriptions of the Christian life was uttered by the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. You don't have to turn there, but if you were to ask me, what is the essence of the Christian life? Summarize it for me. What does it mean to be truly born again, to live in the already not yet? What I mean by that already not yet, already saved, already filled with the Spirit, already possessing the promises of the gospel, but not yet resurrected, not yet glorified, and not yet home. There's a tension built into the Christian life. You say, how do you summarize that reality? I would point you very quickly to 2 Corinthians 6, verse 10, where the Apostle Paul is describing his ministry, but really he is describing Christian life. When he says, I am sorrowful, but I am always rejoicing. You, you hear the tension baked into the Christian life? I am sorrowful, but I am always rejoicing. That is what I call the paradox of piety. The paradox of piety. I love Jesus. I have conviction. My heart has been touched by grace. But I'm not home. I love everything the Lord has given. I can look around at this fallen world and see a beautiful morning and say, praise God for common grace. Amen. And yet, at the same time, paradoxically, there's a part of me that says, but I'm not home yet. Do you relate to that? My hero, he knew this experience well. I guess I have a lot of heroes, but there's one in particular. We need heroes. Hebrews 11 Gives you all these people, and then Hebrews 12 says, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, not so much that they're cheering us on, but they bear witness to the faithfulness of God that carries home sinners like them. And if he did it for them, he'll do it for us. There's a messenger of Satan to buffet me. A bee is landing on me. The test of manhood. Am I going to scream in front of all these people? I want to. All right, get behind me, Satan. Not today. You look at Hebrews 11 and 12, and what does that tell us? It says, look to these people, not because they're so pious and they're so moral, but look at what God did. He brought them home. David was an idiot. He was a sinner, an adulterer, and a murderer, but he made it home. God is faithful. Take heart. They bear witness to God's faithfulness. He who began a good work in them completed it. He'll do it for you. And so we need heroes. That's why you need to read biographies, but that's a different sermon. Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon is not my hero because he was the prince of preachers. He died January 1892, I think. Lived in a different era. London. God used him in very peculiar ways. Can't replicate the ministry of Spurgeon. Not going to try. But he was the prince of preachers. But he's not my hero because of his preaching. He's my hero because he modeled humble honesty in his fight against depression and anxiety. I'm going to read a portion of a letter that he wrote to his congregation. To talk this way 
in Victorian London. He wrote this in 1871. His church was at one time around 6,000 people with no amplification. That's supernatural in my mind. Listen to these words from this man that God was pleased to use in strangely supernatural ways to usher in the kingdom. But he said this in a letter to his congregation. In 1871, Spurgeon wrote, Dear friends, the furnace still glows around me. Since I last preached to you, I have been brought very low. My flesh has been tortured with pain. He struggled with Bright's disease. It's an inflammation of the kidneys. Extraordinary gout. They didn't have cures for these things. There were times where he would be stepping out of the pulpit, go into his office and pass out because of the pain. He says, my flesh has been tortured with pain and my spirit has been prostrate with depression. Yet in all these things, I see and submit to my father's hand. With some difficulty, I write these lines in my bed. Listen to this. Mingling them with the groans of pain and the songs of hope. Are you insane, Spurgeon? What, you're in pain, but you have songs of hope? What is that? That's 2 Corinthians 6.10. He's saying, I'm sorrowful, but I'm always rejoicing. That's the paradox of piety. In Christ Jesus, I have extraordinary hope. Why? Because I know on my worst day, my worst day, when my soul is sunk down and my flesh is failing, I know Romans 8.1 is true. There is therefore now, now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How comes you to be in Christ? By faith alone, through grace alone. That applies to cancer. That applies to persecution beheading, or just the days when you wake up with a causeless depression, when you know better, and yet your heart and your flesh and your soul and your chemicals won't catch up. How do you make it? Today's psalm is very, very personal for me. The example of Spurgeon, Psalm 42 They have been used by God to save me from insanity and from probably the scariest thing I've ever faced as a pastor and as a Christian, and that is being at the threshold of unbelief. When the fog of depression and anxiety rolls into your life seemingly for no reason, when you wake up, you went to bed loving Jesus, and you wake up and it feels like depression is 50 pounds sitting on your chest, threatening to squeeze out what? Squeeze out faith. That scares me to death. What do you do? You go here. You go to the hope that heals. And I am eager, beloved, in the spirit of 2 Corinthians 1, that We have received comfort from the God of comfort. Therefore, we comfort you in all your affliction. I have received comfort. I stand here, not as clergy, but as a sinner, saved by grace, still believing in Jesus, not because of my bootstrap theology that I can save myself, but as a testimony that he who began a good work in me, even at my lowest, even at my lowest when I thought I was losing my mind, he has brought me through, he has been faithful. 
And this particular psalm has been one of the sharpest weapons in my armory that God has used to kill faith-destroying doubt in times of depression. So weary believer, stand fast. God is offering you today a hope that heals. Not a magic cure for depression. Some of us, like Spurgeon, will struggle with it till we go home to glory. But we will make it home to glory. So I know I'm talking to the General Assembly, but I know the Holy Spirit is dealing with some people specifically today. And I pray he grabs you by the shirt and says, Hope in God. That's the message. The main point of Psalm 42 is this. The cure for spiritual depression is a firm hope in the character and promises of God. In Psalm 42, we learn four lessons. He's helping us. Psalm 42 is helping us do something. First lesson, pinpoint the issue. Pinpoint the issue. The Psalms, unlike Romans, are not linear. They don't preach. Verse 1, verse 2, verse 3. You got two choruses, verse 5, verse 11. So you got two stanzas leading up to that repetition. But this is how I'm going to break it down because this is what I see in the text as far as a flow of thought. Point number one, what's the first thing that we learn? Pinpoint the issue. Look at verse 1. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Look at verse 3. My tears have been my food day and night. What is going on? If you were to meet, I mean, is this poetry? Yes, that's the genre. But if you were to meet someone who's saying this, what would you surmise? Something's wrong. Yes, it's hyperbole. Yes, it's, it's superlative language. But he's saying something true. He says, I'm not okay. Why are you cast down, he'll go on to say, as the deer pants for flowing streams. You can fast for three or four days from food. It's hard. (laughs) Try doing that with water. There's something about thirst that strikes at the very core, and he's going there to try to convey what he feels spiritually. He says, I am so thirsty. How many times have you said, I just feel dry? What are you intimating? I need water. I need water. So the question is, you've told us your symptoms, psalmist. What's the cause? Now let me give you a caveat. Trying to pinpoint the exact cause of depression is really hard. I have wasted a lot of my time trying to figure out exactly why I feel the way I do sometimes. Because we live in the already not yet. I don't have a glorified body, so sometimes it's chemical. Come talk to me at the end of February with another gray day. Say, how do you feel? I'll say, I'm okay. I love fall, but I don't like winter. There's something in my body that needs vitamin D. 
in the new heavens and new earth, it will be pro-physical. We will be in bodies. We are not pagans that are anti-physical. And I'm longing for the day when this brain and this body and all this stuff works right. Amen? Whether it's serotonin, dopamine, adrenaline, whatever. There are some days where I just don't feel right. And I still have sin in me. And those two things conspire to confuse me many times. Is it a chemical thing or is it a hope thing? Is it that I'm idolizing all the wrong things and I'm not finding satisfaction in God or do I just have something going on? And often the answer is yes much to my chagrin. So if you can relate to that, just know the Psalms get that. But he says, my soul pants for God. He thirsts for God. My tears have been my food. Why? Well, not barring any type of physical causation, which he's a human, probably there. But he tells us at the end of verse 2 what specifically is going on in his heart. What's the problem? Verse 2. Look at this. Crazy how providential this is right now. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Verse 2. When shall I come and appear before God? What's the primary circumstantial problem that is contributing to his vexation of soul? Do you see how relevant this is? I don't know, but this very likely could be David in the days of days of Absalom. But what we do know is that the psalmist can't get to the place of worship like he normally does. He is out in the wilderness, cut off by enemies. He can't go to the temple. That's why he says, oh, how I would go with the throng and I want to be with the people of God. But church isn't the same. I can't get there. Times are uncertain. Enemies are threatening me, and nothing is the same, and I can't meet with God the way I normally do. You live in 2020. Do you hear how relevant and sufficient the Word of God is for today? How many of us, myself included, have said, I'm just struggling for joy because things are so upside down right now? God comes to us in Psalm 42 and says, I know. I planned for that. That's why I gave you this psalm. He says, my tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me, where is your God? Contextually, real enemies saying to this Jew who can't go to the place of worship, they're saying, where is your God? Where is Yahweh? You who claim that he's not a local deity, you who claim that he's the sovereign of the universe, look at you now. But does that sermon not play in our heads? Where is your God? All this, do we need to go to Psalm 73? All in vain have I kept my hands clean. All this service, all this singing, all this faith, all this Jesus talk, but look at where we're at. What a mess. And Satan comes in and says, where is your God? 
how do you how do you cut his tongue out? You take Psalm 42. So to pinpoint the issue for this guy, not barring physical and chemical issues, it's a worship interruption issue. But God is using that to do something in his life. Nothing is wasted in God's economy. Heard that from Dr. Bullmore. Number one, the lesson we learned from Psalm 42 is to pinpoint the issue. What's going on? Physical, circumstantial, often both. What do we do? Point number two, we ponder past grace. I see I've got all kinds of things going on in me, and I'm not right. What do I do as a believer? Ponder past grace. Look at verse 4. So here's a depressed guy, can't worship with the people of God, feels cut off, feels alone, feels isolated, things are crazy, feels like the world's upside down, surrounded by enemies. What are you going to do? Verse 4, these things I remember. Ah, these things I remember as I pour out my soul. What are you remembering? He's starting to fight back now. These things I remember as I pour out my soul how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise. You see what he does? He goes back and he remembers times of worship with the people of God. He's starting to lose faith. Things are getting dark. Why should I come to church? Why do you want to be with the people of God? Why do you sit in a parking lot? They think we're nuts. Because when faith is failing, where's one of the first places he goes? I think back to days of being with the people of God. This is not moralism. People whose sins have never been erased by the blood of Jesus, who have not had their eyes open to the glory of Christ, they don't say this. This is not moralism. It's not, well, I need to go to church. I got I to gotta go do that thing. Look how he talks. These things I remember, how I would go with them to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise. It wasn't just a duty. It was a joy to be with the people of God and sing praises to our God. You need to remember past grace. He does it again in verse 6. He says, my soul is cast down within me, therefore... I remember, you hear that word twice now. He is reaching back to reservoirs of grace. When God has been kind, when God was near in times of communion, often with the people of God, though maybe privately. And I think he's talking about private communion here. He says, I, re- I go back and I think about when I would go with the church and we would sing together. But now, what does he say in verse 6? My soul is cast down, therefore, what do you do? I remember you, God, from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Where is that? I'm not sure, but what does it mean? It seems to be a time that sticks out in his brain of close communion with God. Remember that time, Lord? You have old altars in your life where you go back. I do. Every time I go to St. Cloud, Minnesota, I go 
I try to drive past the house where God saved me as a rebel, a Jesus-scoffing, God-hating rebel. I can show you the place when he said, mine, you are mine. And for the first time in my life, I said, amen, Abba. And there are days where I am soul sick. Days where I don't like what's going on nationally. I feel surrounded by enemies and I wake up to the sermon in my brain. It says, where is your God? How do I fight for faith? I go back and I remember times of corporate worship, times at the pastor's conference, times of private prayer, times of looking up and seeing that one saint who is now with Jesus, but I could see those wrinkled hands raised in praise when I know she was crying because of the arthritis, but Christ was enough. And I think, mm, he took her home, he's going to take me home. And I meditate on that, I ponder on past grace. And not only that, I know we have an economy of time, but look at verse 6. What exactly is he pondering? Well, he's pondering events, but he says, therefore, I remember you, O God. This is when theology matters. My faith is failing. I feel like I'm surrounded by enemies. I know my faith is not going to make it. It's not me. So therefore, I think about you. What do you mean? The attributes of God. You are omniscient. You know all things. You are omnipotent. You can do all your holy will. You are righteous. You never do anything bad or wrong. You never make mistakes. You are jealous for your glory. You are holy. Vis-a-vis, even though I don't understand why I feel cut off, why I feel alone, one thing I do know is your character and you're immutable and you don't change. And if I ever doubt that, I go to Romans 8.32, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not with him graciously give us all things? That is who you are. And that's why I am sorrowful, because I hate the way I feel, but I am always rejoicing, not because of the strength of my faith, but because of the strength of the object of my faith. Thank you, Psalm 42. Pinpoint the issue, ponder past grace. Number three, what else do we learn from this psalm? Number three is pray with transparency. Pray with transparency. So I'm thinking about what, is, what am I feeling? Just turn, turn the phone off, turn the TV off. What is going on with me? Do I need a nap and some vitamin D, or do I need to fast and pray, or both? I don't know. But one thing I do know is I need to think about past grace so that it launches me into the future with hope. And number three, I need to pray with transparency. Look at verse 7. And you're thinking, you're skipping the best part. I'll get to verse 5. I know. I see it. Verse 7 says, deep calls to deep. Now, he's just told us he's depressed, he's scared, anxious, he feels alone. And I don't think that's just poetry. He probably feels a rush of adrenaline. His heart rate is probably elevated. He's probably sweaty, might be trembling. You ever had a panic attack? That's a ton of fun. I have. 
he's feeling these things, and so he prays. How does he pray? Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls and all your breakers and your waves. What does he mean? Well, he says, Lord, in, in the beginning of this psalm, I said, just like a deer pants for flowing streams, that's what I want. I want flowing streams. I just, I want to be with you besides still water, Psalm 23. I just want to worship how I normally do. I just want things to be normal again. I want peace, and I want you, and I want it on my terms. And God says, I know you want water, but you're not going to grow that way, so I'm going to give you water, but it's going to be a lot more than you thought. This is a picture of two waterfalls cascading together, your breakers and waves and waterfalls. He says, I prayed for water, but this is too much. Careful what you pray for. God, make me patient. Really? Make me more like Jesus. Really? I want you to see something as well. Look at verse 9. We're looking at 7, 8, and 9. Verse 9, he says, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? He's praying. He's going vertical. I say to God, do you see the, the tension, the already not yet, the paradox of piety, the sorrowful yet always rejoicing? He says, I say to God, you are my God, you're my rock. Why have you forgotten me? Well, which one is it, psalmist? Is he your God and is he Yahweh or has he forgotten you? Is he double-minded? No, this is exactly what we see in Job chapter 6. What does Job say in Job chapter 6? He's saying, I, I feel certain things, I'm overwhelmed, and they try to rebuke him and give him a theology lesson. And what does he say? Will you rebuke words for the wind? Meaning, I know better than this. I know he hasn't really forgotten me, but in this moment, that's how I feel. He's being honest in prayer. You think of some of these psalms and the way they pray. Where are you, God? Why have you hidden your face? This is being sung in temple. I think sometimes we're too tidy in our prayer life, beloved. I'm not calling for irreverence, but I'm calling for transparency. God, Father, Abba, that Romans 8, Abba, Father, is a distress call. He says, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls, your breakers, and your waves. He is saying, I feel forgotten, but what I do know is that these things, these circumstances, ultimately happen under your sovereign headship. You are not caught off guard, you are not surprised, and without being the author of sin, yet you work concurrently through every circumstance to bring about your will, which for me is to be conformed into the image of Christ Jesus. So even though I don't understand why so much water, what I do know is that the one who walked on the water is still sovereign over it. Here is a guy who loves the Lord. Look at what he says in, in verse 8. He's like, the pendulum is swinging. He just got done saying, I'm being drowned in your water. And then in verse 8, it's like he remembers, though. He shoots back in his mind. He goes, but by day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. Well, what is he doing? 
says, I feel like you've forgotten me, but I know you haven't. I'm just so burnt out and scared and anxious right now. I'm just saying that's how I feel, but I know that you watch over me at all times. I sleep because I'm not sovereign. You don't sleep because you are. And if your eye is on the sparrow to feed the stupid birds, how much more for me as one purchased by the blood of Christ? Which leads us to the fifth point. Here's a guy who loves the Lord, but he can't worship like he usually does. He's scared. He feels alone. He knows that God is his rock, but he feels abandoned. He's sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. The paradox of piety, the normal Christian experience in so many ways. And he knows at root, might be some brain stuff going on, might be some chemical stuff going on, but at root, he's shrewd with himself. He knows that at the root of his spiritual depression is a misplaced hope. And that's why, finally, the fourth point that everything's leading to, what do we do to fight back in spiritual depression? Well, you need to do these other things, which pave the way for point number four, which is preach to yourself. Preach to yourself. I made everything start with P, because that's what Baptists do, and I like Spurgeon, and he was a Baptist. Kidding. It's easier to remember when you don't have notes in front of you. <laughs> Preach to yourself. So let's now look at where this two crescendos, there's two mountains in Psalm 42, verse 5, verse 11. And they both say the same thing. There's a chorus. It's like a, a hook in a song is repeated. Verse 5, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. See the exact same verbiage in verse 11. And if you want to do extra credit, Psalm 43 is kind of an addendum to Psalm 42. And he says the same thing over there as well in verse 5 of 43. But we don't have time because I just looked at my watch and I realized I'm in trouble. But we got to get this. Verses 5 and 11 are some of the most soul-preserving practical and effective tools that I have ever found. And I claim no originality. I heard this first from John Piper, who then pointed me back to Martin Lloyd-Jones. God bless Martin Lloyd-Jones. Get that app and listen to those old sermons. It sounds awesome because of his English accent, and he's a good preacher. I'm going to read from a portion of his sermon on Psalm 42. This is the great doctor, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Listen, this is so eminently practical. Listen to this. Have you ever realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they are talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday. Somebody is talking. Who is talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. Now this man in Psalm 42, his treatment was this. 
instead of allowing this self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Why art thou cast down, O my soul, he asked. His soul had been depressing him and crushing him. So he stands up and says, self, listen for a moment, and I will speak to you, end quote. So what does he do? What's going on? Ah, I've got a soul problem. I've got a heart problem. I've got a hope problem. Who is my God? He is the God that has sustained me in ages past and will sustain me in ages to come. I'm going to go to him and I'm going to lay out my heart before him and tell him, I'm scared. And it feels, I know better, but it feels like you're a million miles away. But don't stop there. Now he starts doing something that is so critical. He preaches to himself. He is shrewd with his own soul. Look at it. Look at verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Oh, how depression and anxiety are handmaidens for one another. And I hate that feeling. Why are you so low? Then why do you feel so revved up at the same time? Why are you so perplexed, soul? What have these circumstances of being interrupted in his worship, feeling alone, feeling confused, feeling deluged with an unhappy providence, what have they served to do? For the child of God, all the breakers and the waves of God's providence have washed away the dross of religiosity to expose the joy-killing idols in his heart. And he realizes, ah, a big contributor to my problem is I've been putting my hope in other stuff. Because what does he say? What's the thesis of his sermon? Hey, soul, what's your problem? Hope in God, vis-a-vis. Don't put your hope in other things. That's what's fueling this. Meaning, don't put your hope in perfect health. Don't put your hope in your little routine on Sundays. Don't put your hope in how work's going to go or the stock market. Don't put your hope in any of these things that I am teaching you right now in very poignant ways are transient. Look not to the things that are seen, beloved, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are unseen are eternal. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. How do I taste that verse when the waters of a heavy providence wash away all the junk that I like to put around my heart to convince myself that I'm more spiritual than I am so that I look at it and say, man, I hope in my strength. I hope in my sovereignty. I hope in my plans. I hope in my checkbook. I hope in my routines. I hope in me, 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 and I'm miserable. And I'm scared. And thank you, God, for your breakers and waves that wash away the dirt and the crud to help me see I need you. And I know because of the cross, because of the cross, I can go to you and pray and be heard and be sustained because all of the promises in Scripture are yes and amen in Jesus. And I am his and he is mine. So that, like Paul, I can say I am exceedingly sorrowful, but I am rejoicing because my Savior lives and he ever lives to intercede for me, an idolater, 
who puts his hope in things that will burn in the fire. But he who began a good work in you will complete it to the day of Christ. Like Charles Spurgeon, we often find ourselves in the paradox of piety. Loving Christ while wrestling with depression and fear. Psalm 42 is a grace-fueled call to the fearful and melancholy believer to hope in God. I lose all sight of the future and all my joy when I lose fill in the blank. More than likely, if that blank is not filled with the word Jesus, whatever it is, is a joy-killing, depression-inducing idol that offers false hope. So what does your father come to you today and say? He says, I will wash you with more water than you can imagine so that you say, hope in God, soul, for I will again praise my God. He's not forgotten me. He is working all things together for my good that I might look more and more like Jesus. COVID-19 is not sovereign. Yahweh is. So if I were to sit down and have coffee with you one-on-one, how would I pastorally apply this to you? Oh, you don't have to have coffee. I will. I'll drink yours. If I were to apply this text pastorally, and you say, okay, I get what he's saying, but what do I do? I'm going to take 30 seconds, Harrison. I know. Don't get the stick out yet to push me out of the pulpit. I swear I won't do this next time. (laughs) Five things. Pay attention to what you're listening to. Pay attention to what you're listening to. I got that from Lloyd-Jones. It's been so helpful because when I started paying attention, I'm like, I listen in my head to a lot of bad theology and a lot of bad sermons. I know better than this. Because if I give voice to what I feel sometimes, it is God is distant, Christ is not who he says he is, I'm not going to make it home, it's all a sham. So pay attention. What am I preaching to myself? Number two, take those thoughts captive. Say, that is faithless, that is baloney, that's not gospel. I know better than that. Call it out. I've, had to, I've literally said that to myself before. I haven't even made it to the coffee pot yet, and I feel low and heavy. And I got all these books I've been reading. I know better. So I stop and say, what, where did that come from? Pay attention to what you're listening to. Take it captive. Number three. Look to past and future grace. Remind yourself, God has been, if you woke up believing in Jesus, even if your faith is that big, but if you woke up saying, I am sorrowful, but I'm trusting in Christ, who kept you while you slept? What amount of self-autonomous will did you exercise at night? Did you put a, a sermon on by your bedtime, by your bedside or some? you know, Bible audio to try to keep faith alive. No, he kept you. So you look back to past grace. Number four, memorize the promises of Scripture. Get them in you and in your head 
so that when you truly feel alone, God feels distance, and the enemy comes to you at a very inopportune time, like when you're driving or in the middle of work or someplace where I can't just go with my Bible and be away, but i got to fight this right now. I'm putting up a good show for everybody else, but they don't know the turmoil I feel right now. You take out one of those weapons of Scripture, and you cut the devil's tongue out. And finally, with all of that, you preach to yourself. You preach to yourself. You say, soul, you're probably depressed for a number of reasons. But I'm telling you, because of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the unchanging character of God, hope in God. Don't hope in the job. Don't hope in the car. Don't hope in health. Don't hope in the family. Don't hope in a name. Don't hope in the relationship. Don't hope in social media. Don't hope in national leadership. Put your hope in God, who is your rock. Rocks don't change. I've just been extra burdened this morning. For those, if you came today and you know I'm not a Christian. He's not even talking to me. But I can relate. Because I've been really depressed. And I'm scared about the way things are going. I say this with love, but you should be. But I want to offer you hope today. Not the hope of leadership in the White House or hope in your checkbook or hope in anything temporal. This is all going to go up in smoke. But I offer you the hope that goes to your conscience and says, do you know what I've done? And the cross of Jesus Christ still calls to you and says, come. Come, ye sinner, poor and weary. Find eternal hope so that you can wake up not with your best life now, but in the midst of depression and anxiety and fear, you can say, I am sorrowful, but I am rejoicing. Why? Because I don't fear death. I have a great inheritance held up for me in heaven. How do you know? Because the blood of Jesus Christ and the empty tomb. He is who he says he is. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And my hope is in him. So I call you, hopeless one, Turn from every other false source of hope in this world. Bow down at the feet of Jesus Christ, the God-man. Confess your sin and put your hope in him, the one who is a refuge and a rock. So that even if you find yourself sorrowful, you can be constantly rejoicing. That is the hope that heals. Let's pray. Father.